listening to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, where women who are ready to expand their life adventure discover the tools to stop playing small and tap into the courage required to enjoy their second wind. Welcome. Good morning. Welcome to Second Wind. It's a pleasure to have you here today because I am. I want to tell you about this awesome view that I'm looking at. It's sunny and it's just absolutely beautiful here. About, I guess, almost a week ago, we had snow, which is not a common thing in Tyler, Texas. But it was beautiful to see it fall on Sunday afternoon. And then by Monday evening, it was gone. So that's a nice way to have it, isn't it? So you can see it, you can enjoy it. The children have the day to make their snowmen, and so it's a lot of fun, and then it's gone. That's the way I want snow. Well, one of the other things that I want to suggest to you at this time is the importance of making your vision for the upcoming year. What do you want this year to be? Now, we know we've all gone through extremely difficult year in 2020. And, you know, you might hold back thinking, I can't do anything. I'm just, I'm just paralyzed here. Yes, it has changed. And will it ever return? Maybe not 100% like it was before. But it will be very similar once we all have the vaccine and we're able to move more freely without suspicion, <laughs> without thinking we could be exposing ourselves to COVID-19. So the vaccine, I think, will make our lives easier. But at the same time, we're also experiencing some frustration in just getting the vaccine. But I do think with the change of leadership, we're going to get more organized. We're going to get some some positive things happening to address the COVID-19. And to the, all those families that are suffering of loss of family members and, and um, struggling with the financial weight that they have now, my heart goes out to you. And, and I know that there is an incoming um, even though it, it's taking us a while to get there. But one of the things that I always like to start the new year, and when it was possible for us to gather publicly, I always had something called a vision board. A vision board workshop is where we're all gathered together, or I'm even doing a virtual or have done a virtual vision board workshop, where you think about what you want for the year coming up. So in 2021, you identify and connect with those wants that, you, that you'd really like to see happening, no matter how difficult they may be. For instance, you may feel like you need a new car, so you want a car, and you might put that on the vision board. Now, a vision board is a it's about a goals, the wants that you want for the year, as I said. But you will go to magazines or computer printouts and get pictures of those wants. So it could be you sitting in your new car if that was one of your wants. And you will put that picture on the board. The picture will help you connect with the emotion of having that 
actually. The excitement of sitting in the car and the excitement of driving it off the lot. All of that is important in being able to attract it to you and to keep your mind moving toward your goal. So next week on my podcast, I will be going in deeper explanation of the vision board and actually breaking it down for you. So because I just think it's so important that you begin, if you have not done this before, that you seriously think about creating your vision board for next year so it can become a reality. And I'm really excited to be offering that next week. So put it on your schedule or plan to review the virtual vision board that I will be talking about on the podcast next week. Now, let me tell you about our guest today, Natasha Sculpture. Now, she is an awesome lady. She is an author, poet, health coach, and a former aid worker. As an emergency spokesperson for the United Nations, Natasha covered humanitarian crisis around the world including conflicts and natural disasters in Ethiopia, Haiti, Libya, and Pakistan. Before the UN, she worked as a writer, producer, and editor for a variety of organizations, including the BBC, CNN, Al Jari. Is that correct, Natasha? Al Jazeera. Oh, boy, I- I messed that up, didn't I? And it must be in the English version. TED, and is that is the TED Talks? Yes. Yes, awesome. And Natural Geographic and Connest Publications. Now, I could go on and on and on because she's experienced so much of the broadcast world in different areas. So she's a really talented young lady. So she has experienced something that we don't normally think of, the thrill, and yet the call that makes her face fear and doubt and be in dangerous places, all of those things to get the story to share with the listeners, to share with the world. So you might call her a frontline worker at one time when she was put in some of these uh, countries all over the world and they were going through crisis. So... I welcome you here today. We're going to be talking about Natasha's book that she wrote, Manfest. And so I'm just really appreciate that you are here with us today. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. When, you know, I started reading your book as I uh, shared with you yesterday, and I, it was so great the way you expressed um, on that very first assignment, I don't remember where you were, but um, you were spoke, you were speaking with your mother and way across the world, and yet you were described that being in some of those countries is not always 
staying in a nice hotel, not always eating on time, not always feeling safe, and how you were so drawn by the message. Why were you, why was that so important to you? Yeah, I mean, you're, that was, the book opens up in Pakistan, which is ironically uh. where my mother was born. So I was ah. going back to her homeland, which mm-hmm. was just a fascinating journey, but I happened to be going for my UN work. Um, but honestly, I always wanted to travel. I grew up traveling quite a bit, but I always wanted a career in which I could travel and mm-hmm. do storytelling. So mm-hmm. for a long time, I thought I'll be a CNN news correspondent like Christian Amanpour, and that's why I was working for, with, you know, in the news arena. And then eventually I decided I wanted to like focus on humanitarian issues and then join the UN. Of course, it was a long process between CNN and joining the UN, UN but yeah. it was basically, um, it can be a little bit addictive. I'm not going to lie. This type of work, it's very exciting because even though it can be daunting and scary at times, it really felt very meaningful to me. And also it felt like a gift to, to be able to explore the world, to meet all kinds of people from all walks of life and to get paid doing it. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a, a bit of excitement. There's a, there's a rush that you get with being there. But also um, I could see the call. It's sort of like the teacher in you. It's the called you're doing a great service just to be able to get the message out to us back in the states you know i can yeah and i think you know it's just about listening to people's stories and how they've suffered and then a lot of the communications work that i was doing was really about fundraising and kind of um you know basically trying to to rally other governments to chip in um at the time, I was working for the World Food Program. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really hear on a daily basis, especially in the U.S., about how many hungry people there are in the world. So really yes. just keeping that on the, the news agenda as much as possible um, and, and trying to, to get help to people that really needed it. Right. And continue to need it. Yes. Uh, having gone through this pandemic, I think... Um, we are seeing some of the struggle that probably has been commonplace for many years all over the world. Right? Absolutely. I mean, this is, unfortunately, this is an age old problem that just, you know, we have the resources if we come together to make Mm -hmm. sure that every child, um, you know, is housed and fed, but we're, the problem is that we're not coming together in the way that we should. And, um, Right. Which means that we need, you know, NGOs and uh, generous governments and UN agencies on the ground and and other people um, helping out, filling the gaps. Right. Yeah. Well, we've definitely got a challenge for us, but I I have faith that we're going to be able to meet it. I really do. Uh, that's the optimistic person in me. <laughs> so well, that's the way I want because, it. You know, I always think about it as you know, if some other human is suffering even if we're not entirely conscious of it, we suffer too. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't thrive if the rest of our fellow human beings aren't thriving. Um, You know, because there is such a thing as collective pain. If you look at Black Lives Matter and everything that has happened in the past year or two, even if, you know, those of us who aren't African-American, like you feel the pain, you know, Mm -hmm. and you feel complicit in some way and you want to help. So when your fellow humans are suffering, 
you know, we've all been depressed, you know, whether or not you want to admit it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's depressing that we're in the U.S., especially that we're going through this, mm-hmm. um, this, this racial injustice that's been going on for many, many years, but has really come to the surface in the past couple of years. Yes. Yeah. Well, one of the things I think that allows me to be a little optimistic is because having lived, and I'm older than you, and having lived through Kennedy's death, through the other Kennedy's death, through Martin Luther King's death, I mean, and seeing this, you all saw the towers fall, but when you experience those things and you can see that there is some normalcy that does come back after something so catastrophic. And I can remember at that time I was working for IBM and I would travel around Louisiana and Texas. And I can remember being in a hotel room in Monroe, Louisiana, because we always remember where we are when those horrible things happen. And uh, just in disbelief, watching it and I mean I couldn't I couldn't believe that was the first time we'd ever had a president killed so that's what I was referring to but but somehow we moved on even though there was a big void we moved on and I think um, that's probably some of the muscle that you get by experience living longer and experiencing more of this what you think are life-changing they are life changing, but but we adapt. We adapt. Yes, we adapt, and I agree. We are incredibly resilient. Um, mm-hmm. We are very very resilient. Um, but I see these tragedies as opportunities to mm. like maximize our humanity awesome. to really experience that grief. And even if you didn't know anybody, um, you know, in the, in nine mm-hmm. eleven, who died. Mm-hmm. Just that that grief, and then letting it open open you up and get to the core of who we are and how we want to be, and be seen and show up in this world. If we allow that change to happen, to transform mm-hmm. us, um, because transformation is our nature, then only then can we kind of evolve as as you know the human race. Right. Yeah. Well. I'm curious to know, how was it that you decided, did you just get tired of the chase of the story or did you, was there something that caused you to change your direction? And I, I call these defining moments and every one of us has a defining moment, which may not be life changing, but we get several of them. There are moments that just say, I, I, I have to do something different. I have to adjust. I have to correct whatever it is. So if you would, do you mind sharing what what would have taken you away from that life, which we think is exciting and awesome, to turn into a different direction? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. And you're right. It was exciting. And I still feel so fortunate that yeah. I have those opportunities. I think, you know, it's exhausting to be on the road constantly. I think there was a year when I was living in like five different countries, um, just living out of a suitcase. And it's absolutely fine when you're single. Um, and but it does it does drain one, you know, doing this kind of humanitarian work and like Haiti, for example, being there right after the earthquake in 2010 and living in a tent and not showering for weeks and barely eating. I think I lost 15 pounds or so. 
Oh my and, gosh. Know, it was, yeah. I mean, it was just really intense work. And I actually have colleagues who've been in, in the field for way longer than me. Um, uh-huh. But part of it was really that I had hit my mid thirties and I, I felt this pressure to, I wanted to have children and I wanted to meet somebody and I felt like life on the road like that. I wasn't really having any relationships that I could actually sustain because, you know, you're traveling so much. And so they're just kind of these fleeting romances, which are very fun and exciting, but after Mm -hmm. a while you want something deeper. So that's one of the reasons that I decided to come back to the U S also my, my dad was suffering from some health problems. So I wanted to ground myself and I went back to New York and I was working at the UN headquarters there. And again, it's just a really busy life. And I think a lot of us experience this at some point in our lives. I think perhaps that happens in our 30s, but we just feel so frantic. And I know that mm-hmm. New York really has a reputation for, for being that way. Just there's so much going on. And then, of course, it's so expensive. So you have to work so hard to make ends meet. But you also want to like maximize all the opportunities in the city. And I just mm-hmm. felt like I had just been, you know, I was so busy and I I an accomplishment oriented and I already had like a really good resume and I was dating and I couldn't meet anybody. And I was just, you know, exhausted. And I was going on online dates and sometimes going out with one or two different men a night, (laughs) which is quite common. You just just make them for a drink, you know, and then you're just like, no. And, um, (laughs) but it just, it, it just, it's fun, but it's also like, I felt like I had lost myself in the search for love. And also just in the frantic pace of life. So part of me going on this, what I call a man fast, which really is, I define as like a nine month journey of self-expansion. It was because I wanted to slow down and I wanted to take the time to really meet myself. I felt like I was part of this kind of collective trance um, and that the trance that I was in was swallowing up like the existence of any meaningful inner life for me in New York. I, even though if, if I went to like a yoga class, I still didn't feel like it was enough. And it right. could have been the energy of the city or the time in my life. So I left New York and I bought a one-way ticket to India and I stayed in an ashram and I did all sorts of things. And it, that's how my journey starts in the book. <laughs> so if we saw the movie Eat, Pray, Love, we, we know what you went to? <laughs> Because well, she there stayed are in there, similarities. Sure. Yes, yeah. yeah, there are similarities. Um, I think one of the things that I did was I felt like I wasn't healthy anymore in New York because, you know, you're drinking dirty martinis and, you know, you're eating out all the time. So I just wanted to spend the first uh, bit of time really kind of investing in my physical and mm. mental well-being. So mm. I stayed in an Ayurvedic ashram and I did a yes. cleanse and I started to learn all about Ayurveda, and uh, which is a 5,000-year-old ancient uh, Indian system of healing, um, yeah. which, so I don't know if you've heard of it, but that I yeah. learned about that, and I started to eat better, and I started to drink, you know, more water, and I cut out alcohol, so that was kind of the beginning of things. Let me just reset things and get my, my body balanced and kind of detoxified, so right. it's slightly different from Eat, Pray, Love in that sense, but, um, and also my mom is from India, so it was kind of going home and uh, really doing some getting in touch with my roots and that kind of thing. Yeah, that would have been nice. Did you do some some a personal journey while you were there by visiting 
her place or was she there? Was she still there? Well, yes. No, she, my mom lives in the U.S. now. She, she, uh, she was a refugee from Pakistan. So she was born okay. the year of the partition of India. So when mm-hmm. she was very young, they all moved to India. So we have a home there. So I stayed in that home and, oh, um, no. yeah. So, and I, I've been there before, but this was more of an extended period. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, uh, so did you all, were you also practicing meditation or was that, did you bring that in with your transition there? Yeah, I feel like I had done meditation, but I didn't mm-hmm. have a steady practice. So that was yeah. one of the things that I did the whole, the, during the, the man fast was just like daily meditation um, and just really being driven by this idea of living with deep awareness. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, kind of stepping into this flow, not, not always chasing and trying and reaching, but just really staying in the present. And so, you know, meditation, there's so many different interpretations, but really it's just kind of being in stillness. So I invited a lot of that into my life. And there's a term I like to use, um, that's Japanese and it's called Yutori. And it means, or roughly I'm told translates to spaciousness. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I was seeking was spaciousness, like in my life to just kind of think and breathe and, um, you know, just kind of, uh, deepen and not feel like I always had to be somewhere, but just kind of be in stillness. So, uh, part of, you know, my man fast was really about that spaciousness. And at the, mm-hmm. you know, obviously like when I left, um, not obviously, but my father had passed away and I was also like dealing with a lot of grief and I felt like yeah. I needed, I didn't, couldn't cope with it in, in New York city. I needed just to go off and kind of have some quiet and mm. some time alone. Yeah. I think, um, it's, we, it's, I see this when I'm doing the vision board and working with people that I say, okay, dream what you want. What do you want in your life? And they go so, they're all thinking at surface level, okay? I want to get married. But what does that mean to you? You know, questions like that that need to be asked. And so at that time, were you also getting deeper into you? Um, Finding you really, what did that mean to slow down? What was that really? Or did you, it sounded like you already knew you wanted to work on your diet and your exercise. So did you have a um, deepening of your journey as you went on, continued? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't have a big plan at all. Um, I knew mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't just about dieting because I'm not actually don't even believe in diets. It was just about like really, um, you know, okay, if you think of your body as the throne of your soul, then it mm-hmm. changes the way that you, you know, consume food um, right. and how you, and you treat it. Um, but I, it did deepen because I didn't have, I didn't have a very specific plan. I just knew that I was going on a fast for men um, <laughs> and that I just didn't want to think about dating and I didn't. And I didn't like want to think about marriage, which is ironic because when you're in India, then, you know, all my aunties, like they probably they had given up on me at that point, you know, because that's quite old being in your 30s uh, and not married. But also like really getting to that place where I was just happy and whole on my own, really connecting yes. with this wholeness, that this idea that there was no lack in my life. And so everything right. I chose to do during the nine months was about 
really connecting with the things that made me feel full and happy. So yes, I spent time in India. Um, then I also, I worked on a, a vineyard, like a farm through um, an organization called Woof in Sicily. Um, mm-hmm. So that was amazing. I really wanted to immerse myself in nature. I felt starved of nature. I feel like nature is so healing and it's such a, it's such medicine. It could be such a teacher. So everywhere I went was just like, I wanted to be around by, surrounded by natural beauty. Um, well, and then I was in Tanzania. Go ahead. I loved all the places you chose. <laughs> so I wish, uh, so, but how did you choose them? So you talk about working in the vineyard. It seems to go such, to such extreme from, um, I would call it the, the luxury of going to a retreat center a uh, uh, health retreat center, which although you stayed at your family home, still that wasn't as difficult as I love your word here, toiling. <laughs> yes, toiling in the felt, vineyard. It was, yeah, I felt like I was toiling. Well, the thing is that, yes, your dollar goes very far in India. So that I could do on a budget. I was also yeah. still working. I had a, um, a consultancy with the UN. So I was doing a bit on a very part-time basis because they knew I was traveling. They knew I was working on a book. Um, so I had some income. And then when I went to Sicily, I was actually going to a friend of mine was uh, hosting a retreat mm-hmm. and it was a Kundalini retreat. And mm-hmm. so um, it was a yoga retreat that I went to and I was just invited to go. So that also was like very within my budget. Yeah. And then the woofing thing, working on the vineyard, that basically in exchange of, you know, for toiling for that physical labor, you get to stay for free in someone's home and they provide you with meals. So it's actually an incredible way to move around the world, especially when you're younger and you don't, if you don't have a family and you want to travel. Um, so it really I, I, is. I, I mean, that's fascinating that you can actually, for those listeners out there that when we can start traveling again, I mean, there are ways to see the world without having bucks. Big Absolutely. Bucks. Yeah. And I, that's, I wanted to get that across because I didn't have a lot of money saved because for me, it's always been impossible to save money in New York City. Yes. So um, I had to think of ways where I could stretch my dollars, um, but also have a, the, the adventures that I, my soul was craving. And for those yeah. of you who don't know WOOF, it's an acronym that's W-W-O-O-F and it stands for worldwide opportunities on organic farms so you can and they're all over the world yeah awesome oh that's great news to have for you adventurers out there (laughs) so you and you also finished up by going to tanzania that was your final stop uh yes i guess yes that would have been my final stop but i was actually sent there on a photography assignment so like i said i was still consulting with the un and yeah um so i was sent there to to photograph and document um some children that were in this uh vaccination rollout program that we were funding so i did that and then after um it was my birthday and i decided to uh go treat myself to a safari because when else am i going to be so close <laughs> to like the opportunity to go on a safari and i it's funny cuz i always thought i'd go on a safari on my honeymoon yes. um, but then i was at the i was like i'll never get married so i decided to <laughs> have a very small ceremony yeah. and marry myself and it was oh, not just so kind of some yeah, it was symbolic, and I had these vows. 
And then I treated myself to a three-day safari, because by the way, most of you know, safaris are extremely expensive. Yes. And I did something called glamping, which is glamorous camping, but there was not a lot of glamour in it, but I stayed at these, you know, in a big tent, but there were these crazy bugs. And I mean, it was definitely an adventure, but I, and I also only took, um, I didn't fly, which is so much more expensive than I, I had a driver and we drove the back roads. Okay. I, I have to stop wonderful. because I, I got to go to break, but when we get back, I'd like to hear more about clamping. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll be back shortly. Okay. Motivational speaker and author Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. about the catfish that fell from the sky and hit a woman on the head? I'm not joking. Lisa Labrie was walking in a Cleveland park when she heard a rustling in the trees above her. When she looked up to see what was going on, a five-pound catfish fell from the tree and hit her smack in the middle of her face. I know, this sounds fishy, but witnesses saw a bird, possibly a hawk or an eagle, flying away. The bird had apparently dropped the foot-long catfish more than 50 feet through the trees before hitting Labrie. What's another word for the study of fish? Ichthyology. Lisa Labrie said although she used to do a lot of fishing or doodle socking while growing up in Colorado, I don't think she's ever caught a catfish with her face before. What's another name for a fisherman? A pizzacapturist. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to this segment of Second Win. Joyce Buford, the author of Effortless Happiness, continues in this segment to share insights that will help you live a life of greater purpose and filled with happiness. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. Welcome back. We are talking with Natasha Scripture today, and she has been giving us the most awesome uh, adventure of travel and transition and exposure to a totally new life for us through her exciting um, uh, uh, UN work and everything that she has done. But one of the things she was telling us about is when she took her 90, her Three months um, sabbatical. Nine months. Nine months. Oh, I'm, yes. oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and well, it's, it's the way Imagine. I remember. It's like the rebirth, like a birth, like you're pregnant for nine months. Yes. So I was rebirthing myself. It's myself. Yeah. <laughs> and did you choose that for that reason? Yes. Yes. Oh, I my did. goodness. You've given so much detail. Thought to <laughs> All right. Now, she had told us about her stop by the ashram in India which is also her homeland for her family. And she had talked about uh, toiling in the vineyards. 
in. So now we had just gotten into glamping, which she had, had experienced in Tanzania. So I just hated to cut you off. But tell us more about that. Well, I mean, basically, like I was saying, it's so expensive to go on a safari. So I was looking yeah. for ways to find, to be able to do it because I didn't want to miss the opportunity. Um, mm. But to do it on a budget, of course, mm. part of it, I did put on my credit card. I'm going to, gonna, I'm not going to lie, but um, it, it's, <laughs> it's basically a way, it's a cheap way to like find, you know, have accommodation. Um, so, you know, it's like you're sleeping in a big tent and there's, you know, the animals aren't like right next to you, but you can kind of hear them in the distance, which is can be a little spooky, but yeah. it's amazing at the same time. And, um, you know, it was just, um, you're in a big tent, really. There's a bed, uh, there is a bathroom. So unlike, you know, regular camping where you maybe have to go outside or I don't know, um, they, there, there is a bathroom in the big tent. So, but oh. there were also other things in the tent, like, you know, really huge, like millipedes, like really big, weird bugs. I didn't sleep much. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You're right. Yeah. I'm yeah. not a big bug person. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it was fun. It was great. It was yeah. amazing to be on a safari and you're just surrounded by this, this magnificence, you know, these wondrous animals that you just read about in storybooks. Um, so it's just incredible. I think everyone should just save up and somehow find a way to go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to see some of those countries. Now, I want to go on and talk about you learned a lot by your nine months. Uh, you've actually had a, a very exciting life and learning a lot going to other countries is is a great way to learn. But one of the important things that you start with, or I think you learned was that you are enough. We are enough. We are capable of doing so much. And, uh, but I'm kind of surprised you, you, you weren't aware of that because you'd done so much. But yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, I think when I felt I wasn't enough, it wasn't that I, I wasn't enough professionally because I did feel yeah. like I had achieved some small measure of excess there, success. But I feel it's I think it's this ingrained culturally, like my mother being Indian. It was like everybody just and, and this is not just Indian culture. Many other cultures um, kind of put this pressure on their children to find a partner, get married, have children. And until you've ticked mm -hmm. that box, you know, you really haven't. You know, right. yeah, everyone's happy you have a career, yay, but, you know, you haven't really accomplished. Of course, things have changed and are changing, right? And mentalities are slowly changing. Um, but I think that's where I was coming from, is that I always expected to meet somebody and, like, he would complete me. And obviously, that was where I was wrong, like, you know, right. uh, expecting that, you know. Right. I learned so much in terms of just... I don't know, just realizing my own power. In so many ways, I felt what I was writing was divinely inspired. Like once you really stop, slow down, step off this crazy, um, you know, roller coaster that we're often on um, and we can like live the questions that are in our minds with abandon, then only then can we have that real uh, self-realization, right? So Right. One of the things that I really, and it sounds cheesy, but it was like, I'm the one that I've been waiting for. So while I've been busy climbing up the um, <laughs> professional ladder, mm -hmm. um, checking all these boxes, I wasn't really tending to my soul, 
right? right. There's an amazing book called The Heroine's Journey by Maureen Murdoch. And it's just about how women go through life and how sometimes we take on this masculine idea of what success is. Um, mm-hmm. And then we neglect all the other parts of us, the creativity, all of that. Like I didn't really allow for that kind of that tender feminine um, self-inquiry, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, as long as they're, they're <laughs> I think there needs to be a, a another chapter in the um, Disney book Cinderella, because I think so many of us have been that thought that that completeness comes with the prince. Um, I, I'd like for mothers to read that and go, and how are other ways that you could be complete and amy? <laughs> you know, because we all love the Cinderella story, but it also talks, it leads to the, I'm not complete without my prince. I must find the prince. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. And I, I'm like, you know, I have a, a daughter now and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I read her those books. Probably not because I think it's this, it unfortunately instills this idea that we need to be rescued by somebody outside of ourselves. And so while that may happen, like you can be rescued, you'll never actually have that'll um, in some way catch up with you. Like you're Mm -hmm. always going to have to do the deep work, right? Like even if you man, you know, marry some wonderful rich prince when you're in your mid twenties, you're always going to, life is going to throw something at you and you're going to have to do the inner work. And that's not something anybody else can do for you. And then when you do that inner work and then you transform, because that's our nature, you might not even be aligned (laughs) with this prince anymore. Right. So got it. Yeah. (laughs) Bought the ticket. Now you say one of the topics I am switching over as I love that you used is the gratitude leads to abundance. And I, I think we have so much to be grateful for in our lives. And I don't care. This does not always mean an abundance doesn't always mean you have a bowl of money sitting in front of you. I think there's lots of interpretations about what abundance is and it's different for every one of us, but how does the gratitude work? Well, the gratitude is really, it's very simple. Um, I, and I have a daily gratitude practice, which is really just writing in my journal about like everything I'm grateful for. Like, even if it's just like my health, which mm-hmm. now I think is the most important thing, especially when yes. you look at the pandemic, it's like my child's health, my partner's health, my mother's health, you know, so it's just like, once you start and you're like, I'm grateful for this, um, then you realize there's so many things that you have, like a roof over my head, heat, you know, just a lot of little things lead to a lot, right? And so I think mistakenly, and this is very common though, we tend to see what we don't have instead of what we do have. And it's just kind of flipping that over. And I do believe that the more you appreciate what you have, the more you open the floodgates for more. Now, if you're always going to project lack, like I don't have enough money, I don't have enough this, then you're just going to, it's that law of attraction idea, right? You're just going to keep getting more of the same, which is lack. So Mm. that's what, you know, when I, when I talk about that, that's what I, I mean. Like you need to recognize the abundance that's already in your life in order to bring more abundance in. Yes. Yes. Um, I studied with Jack Canfield for four or five years and he always, one of his practices every day was to just write three things that you were grateful for and don't use the same ones all the time. 
you know, you can't just keep repeating the same three, but you need a, it's, it's being aware of the simple things that you walk by in your yard. I mean, I'm in Texas, so we have yards, um, you know, walking in the grass. I mean, simple, simple, simple things can really be gratitude, expressing gratitude. I know you as a mother, she is a cute little girl. And the little girl's name is Lila, right? Layla, yes. Layla, excuse me. Um, and so I heard her yesterday. We had a brief little conversation. And, uh, and then it just, you know, it just charges all my mother, you know, <laughs> the mother in me. So, I mean, you certainly have that grateful. I mean, you could every day you could just be grateful for what Lila knew, does new this day. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And I, you know, I got to the, and it's interesting because I thought I really wanted a baby and I didn't have a man to have a baby with. And then I was thinking about doing a sperm donor and it was like this whole roller coaster of emotions because I was like, well, but what about the baby knowing her father? And I never <laughs> actually I just was par- paralyzed. Uh-huh. And when I did started doing my man fast, I kind of let go of all that anxiety. I was like uh-huh. surrendering. I was like, this is my path. And what will be, will be just set the intention. Yes, I do want to be a mother. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I don't want to reach for it, grasp for it in a desperate way. And um, so, yeah, a lot of it that year was about, you know, like you mentioned, the nature, reverence of nature, reverence of just this world that we live in and these wonderful beings that, that come into our lives. And even beings that like, have been not so nice to us. Those are our teachers, right? Like, Oh yes. Um, and the other thing I want to mention, cause we were talking about abundance. Some, some people listening might be like, well, I've had cancer. I've had, you know, people have been through some real hardships and, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not, I don't want to you know, diminish those in any ways. I actually think that that, that makes you more when you recover or when you come out of that darkness, more mm-hmm. likely to see the abundance of your health and everything. But also like, I think that we have to treat those challenges like sickness or heartache or grief over losing someone. Like when I talk about losing my dad, I feel a young age, that's Mm -hmm. spiritual compost, right? That's Mm -hmm. fertilizer for ourselves, for our personal growth. I mean, that's, that's what happens. That's why often people do change in a really big way after they've been through something like that. Um, so that's when I was telling you about how I see grief as a gift. I think it's, it breaks us down to our core, opens us up in a way that we haven't been opened up before. I mean, mm. it's the only way to see it, right? Um, yes. I love the way you described it. Spiritual compost breaks yes. us down to our spirit. I love that. I haven't heard that before. I'm, <laughs> I probably stole it from someone else, but I remember <laughs> hearing it and being like, it's, that sounds great. Um, <laughs> But, you know, and also like this idea that we have to have these perfect lives. No, no, we don't. Because I think one of the other things that I really want to share is that I accept my darkness, my dark parts. You know, we all have, you know, grief. We all have shame. We all have shame. That's for sure. And, you know, we don't need to act like everything is light and perfect. And we don't have to be the same way every day. We just have to do our best every day. And, um, I love this concept of, uh, it's a Japanese concept again called wabi-sabi. And it's like this idea that there is uh, beauty in imperfection. So I often think about it because there were things physically like 
I'd want to change about myself, but I'm like, well, they're beautiful because they're different. They're unique. It's just like embracing the fact that we shouldn't really want to be perfect. And I've dated people who are like kind of almost perfect and they're so freaking boring. So (laughs) I like someone with, you know, the flaws actually are, can be endearing. Um, You know, they're so human. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people have ADD. Okay. And it's, it's like, I have it. My daughter has it. I mean, and it's, it's not really something to focus on as a, um, making me feel less than, and I think everybody has something. We all have something, anger, a little quick to anger, a little gossipy mouth, whatever it is. Uh, but these are just things that we must use in our lives to not use them as excuses, but to use them as growth tools, you know? So I've got this little reading problem. So now I have to, uh, exercise or do something for focus or whatever. I'm not saying throw, if you're under medication, throw it away. But I do think we need to stop looking at it as a, I'm less than because of this. Right? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, And I think a lot of that, you mentioned ADD, it's like, well, we probably all have that to a certain extent Mm -hmm. now with like Mm -hmm. the internet and social media. Um, It's hard to really focus. I think a lot of people are struggling to work and concentrate right now with all the events yes. that have been happening yes. in the past several weeks. So I think, and that's, you know, it, it's easy to just blame ourselves, but it's like part of this is cultural. Like this is the world that we, the environment that we, we live in. This is how we're coping and this is how our reaction to it. Um, but that's where you mentioned meditation. That's where that comes in. That's grounding. That's like just sitting in stillness. People think, oh, I can't meditate. I don't know how to do it. But it's like, actually, it's the easiest thing in the world. And I think we've <laughs> overcomplicated it. Yes. And people then, yes, use that as an excuse to not do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. In my view. Yeah. It's like brushing your teeth. It's just like clean the slate. You know, you're not going to not brush your teeth every day. So it's like clean, clear your thoughts, clear your head. Start yes. fresh, start new. There's always an opportunity to reset. That's the other thing. It's like, well, I've already done terrible things or I've already <laughs> made so many mistakes. It's like, actually, every day, it really is an opportunity to, you know, I when I talk about, um, you know, self-help or self-work, I mean, it's actually daily work. Yes, I did this nine-month sabbatical, but it's like, no, I still need to keep up with it because, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's you can't just become enlightened and then stay enlightened or, you know, whatever, however you define enlightened as, which I felt like I really touched on something while I was during this journey. But it's like now when things are so busy and being a new mom, it's like, okay, I need to really focus and be still with myself and stay connected to myself. Right. It's so Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. And I'm, I'm always constantly surprised, uh, that we're never quite finished with uh growth yeah. I mean it's always there's always something else that we can do that we like to get over uh that we get, like to get past in other words we, we accept it more and it, I I'm you know I just thought all adults knew what they were doing and I'm <laughs> so disappointed <laughs> As I am an adult, and sometimes I go, oh, I need more work in this area. You know, it's just, it's just who we are as humans. 
I wanted to go on and talk a little bit about your book because why you felt to, it was necessary to read. And you have some wonderful quotes in there that you used to. Uh, I'm thinking it's more about uh, changing your thinking uh, that you sent me, the Natasha quotes. Um, but uh, talk a little bit about your book, why you felt like you needed to write this. Yeah, yeah, the the vows that I sent you. Well, I yes. think, like I mentioned, it was, um, I felt like I lost myself not only in the search for love, like the one, quote unquote, yeah. when I was like yeah. dating, um, lost myself in this idea that I wouldn't be complete until I met this said person. Um, so I really felt like it was, I needed that time for self-exploration. I needed that spaciousness. I mentioned, um, I was kind of exasperated and I was like, I want to commit with someone, but then how committed am I to myself? Right. So in a way I got lost and then I found myself. And I think sometimes you have to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. I like to, like in the fast to, you know, a lot of religions mandate fasting as a way of personal spiritual revival. So once you get rid of something that's causing so much angst, like, you know, for me, it was like focusing on romance, then only then can you really kind of ground yourself and have clarity, right? So um, I really wanted to give myself the, indulge myself and, and all of that. So really it was a, it was clearing away negativity and all these preconceived notions about who I had to be in this world and why. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, it was an awakening in so many ways because it was like a period of self inquiry of reflection. I was, uh, grieving over a breakup. I was grieving over the loss of my father, but I was also like, kind of taking the time to really um, kind of, uh, let's see, like uh, process what I'd seen in the world. Like when you're yes. going from humanitarian crisis to humanitarian crisis, there's no time to really uh, deal with them, uh-huh. right? Um, you're just uh-huh. working, working, working. So I had seen a lot of death and suffering and I just felt like I needed time to like, process that and grieve right. that. Um, so that's what the book is about so many different things, but, um, uh-huh. you know, and, and it's really a, it's the process of healing. How do we heal ourselves from grieving? Because it's not really a linear process. It's, mm-hmm. it's very individual and everybody, you know, adapts and, and kind of heeds the call differently. For me, right. I, I really needed to go away, but you don't necessarily have to, to go, you know, 5,000, 10,000 miles away. <laughs> So the title, Man Man Fast, is about, why did you choose that title? It wasn't because it's not all about the man, but it is the acceptance that you don't have to have a man or you don't need another person to be complete. Is that it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an ironic title in so many ways. But I mean, originally, I was going to write a self-help book for women about a dating detox. And that was the book that I sold in the proposal. But then when I sat down to actually write something completely different came out, like I wasn't even planning (laughs) about writing about my dad passing away, all that stuff. And then, you know, a different book kind of plopped out and it wasn't a self-help book. It was a memoir. So we kept the title because yes, I wasn't dating for nine months and I was just dating myself. If you, if you want to look at it that way, but I was also 
you know, studying the Bhagavad Gita, which is an ancient Hindu holy text, um, I was reading all sorts of spiritual works, um, you know, like the prophet, lots of Joseph Campbell, Steiner, Simone de Beauvoir, Women Who Run With the Wolves. I mean, I was reading so many different books um, and kind of just like thinking and being and um, how could I be whole and happy? What does that vision of my life look like? I wanted to find a more expansive vision that didn't just include, wasn't just like me and some guy, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. come on, our lives are so much bigger than that, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, and it was like, how do I love myself in the way that I, in my imperfect self in the way that I want to be loved? Like, if I don't love myself, who's going to love me? So it was just really exploring all of these emotions, but also it was a very feminine, feminist time, right? Like shifting away from the masculine worldview um, yeah. to, to sort of really deepening in my like feminine energies, if that resonates. Um, that's kind of how I often think about it. Like, I feel like we have these feminine superpowers that we just, we don't really utilize or are, we're not really conscious of it because we live in a patriarchal world. And in so many parts of the world, including in the US, women are treated and seen as second class citizens. I mean, this is throughout human history. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, during this time, yeah. I, I, I provide examples of how, how wrong that is, right? And how we yeah. cannot absorb this anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. in the book, you talk, you, you um, talk about the vows. I don't know if you can g- do a few of the vows or if you want to do their, their look to be five vows that you had, right? Uh, and how did you use Well, there were so vows. many. <laughs> oh, there were so many. Well, they were just, yeah, they were just reminders, really, like, yeah. for, to guide me. Why? How did I get so lost, right? Let me stay the yeah. course, no matter what happens. Because as we all know, nothing is constant. Nothing, we can't count on anything staying the same. So it's like, I don't want to lose this idea that I am strong and happy and whole on my own, right? I don't want to stop feeling gratitude for all the things that I have in my life. So it was kind of these radical, honest ways of uh, like almost affirmations, right? So I really am a big believer in affirmations, you know, write these things. I am strong. I am, you know, whatever resonates with you. Um, So do you have a copy of them? Because I'm, I'm going to read one or two, if you don't mind. You can read them. Sure. Okay. It's I, Natasha, give myself permission to pursue happiness and meaning in non-traditional ways and will continue to carve out my own authentic life path, parenthesis, and stop caring what others think. Close parenthesis. So yeah. this is, I, I would call it an affirmation, How it, whatever you want to call it, but it is such a positive statement and it's reminding yourself of what you want to do, what you, where you, where you want to go, the habits you want to drop, the being positive, always positive with your self-correcting, I think Absolutely. is important. Absolutely. It's like, do what's right for you. Someone's path might be completely different. And I think, you know, there's this notion of compare despair. We go on Instagram and okay, first of all, no, everyone only posts good stuff on Facebook and Instagram for the most part, like, <laughs> Oh, everyone's so happy and perfect, but they're really not. Cause no one is. Um, yes. so, but it's just this idea, you know, okay, so maybe I won't have a traditional life that, you know, that my mom's culture would expect of me. Maybe I won't meet someone, but that's fine. Cause I'm having this adventurous, amazing life. It's the, you know, 
uh, Mary Oliver quote, what are you going to do with this one wild, precious life? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Now, people can go to Amazon.com and buy your book. What? I said I have freedom. I have a choice. We aren't Um, limited. We're only limited in as as much as we feel that we're limited, right? We put ourselves in cages that aren't really there. So So tell people where they can go get your book. Oh, yes. You can get my book on Amazon. Um, There's two different versions. There's one on Amazon.co.uk, and there's one on Amazon.com, and it's called Manfast, M-A-N-F-A-S-T, M-M-O-R. So you can find it there. I think ebook as well. You can get the Kindle mm-hmm. version or I recorded the audio as yeah, which was awesome. an interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, this has just gone by too fast. I mean, we're closing close to the end of the hour and there's just been such a wonderful adventure talking with you today from traveling all over the world to just the interesting work and the messages that you've been able to give to not only to us today, but to the world through your your previous uh, work. So, I Natasha, thank you for being a guest on my show. It's just been awesome to uh, have Thank you, you so much. I've loved our conversation, and I really appreciate you having me on your show. A pleasure. And I love the Natasha New Mother image of you, too. thank you (laughs) I know that's a great adventure so anyway we are closing this hour on a definitely high note there's so much that you could reap from buying Natasha's book Manfest and so I hope next week that you will join me for the vision board workshop that will give you resources to get some of the materials and get you started with your vision board so thank you today for being here. Take this good information that you've got. Pick out one thing. Maybe do your own vows this week, but be sure you do something that will add to your life. Have a great day and a great Jupiter returns next week at the same time for another edition of Second Wind. Through the Joyce Buford Empowerment System, women are receiving the support they need through their transitions and are able to reclaim their true purpose with confidence. They receive the tools they need to map out new lives. You can find out more about her coaching services at JoyceBufordEmpowers.com.